Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another video. I hope you're doing very good indeed. Today, we have Prad Sekar of Skylight Health joining us today. Last time, Prad, I didn't have the pleasure of meeting you, unfortunately, due to the family emergency, but it's a great pleasure to meet you. And he had a massive news today, so congratulations. He had the letter of intent to acquire three primary care health units in America, and the price at which you acquired them is, is amazing. 1x trailing revenue, which is... Um, the best deal out there in the market. So congratulations to you and your entire team for achieving this good. No, thank you, Sean. And, and always a pleasure to be back. Appreciate it. And yeah, sorry we missed each other last time, but glad we're able to connect now again. Yeah, maybe uh, welcome back to the show. Maybe you can kind of give us a rundown on this, uh, on the on this acquisition of these three clinics and you know what it means for Skylight uh, today and what it means for Skylight in the future. Yeah, so six so we made six announcements over the last, call it four, four months, closed on five of those six transactions. Um, the sixth one's still working through um, and the um, and uh, looking to close imminently, of course, on that one. But uh, and then the most recently, we just announced sort of the next three acquisitions. Part of the challenge is cadence and timing here. So, you know, one of the I guess this is not a bad problem to have, but, you know, the pipeline continues to fill quite robustly and, and timing on these deals is critical. And so. Um, ideally, we would have sort of paced the six transactions and then announced sort of the next ones as we're going along. But I think the ones to announce are starting to catch up to the ones that need to close. So we got to move through the pipeline a little bit faster here. So um, uh, certainly happy to announce sort of the next three transactions that are taking place. Um, like always, we're, we're pretty um, sort of just to be careful from a disclosure perspective because there's relationships that exist between these practices that still need to go through some time before we can announce them. So we'll usually announce the names on closing. Um, but you're right. I mean, look, these are very much in line with the disciplined approach of acquisitions we've been saying we're going to be making and what we're making. Um, Skylight Health is really starting to carve out a niche for itself in the U.S. primary care sector. Um, and, and hopefully on this call, I'll have a chance to sort of walk through some, some slides that sort of identify what that market's looking like. And especially as we're spending more time marketing in the U.S. with our U.S. banking partners and, and U.S. institutions. Um, but, you know, these three acquisitions are all primary care focused. Um, you know, the benefit in the space we play in in that U.S. market is a relatively low competitive area where there's uh, quite a, you know, a, a number of deal flow potentials. Um, and so our, our benefit is that we get to, you know, look at attractive uh, purchase price of these transactions, you know, three to five times EBITDA, typically less than one times revenue or just around there. And you can see the value that Skylight Health has from a, from a shareholder return perspective, um, namely because of the growth that we're able to bring organically into each of these acquisitions, right? So all these targets have very much the same potential. They've got um, very, you know, short-term potential opportunities for co cost enhancements and cost sharing. Um, we bring, you know, more of sort of an institutional organizational methodology to these practices, and that helps to establish revenue growth, you know, usually 20 to 100 percent as we're now starting to see in some of the practices that we've um, acquired so far. Um, and then as we look for future value growth, how these practices are able to make that conversion from fee for service that they are today into more of the value based and managed care model that the U.S. is shifting towards. Um, which ultimately results in a much higher um, sort of per member uh, revenue potential as an organization as more capital is being deployed into primary care by payers and insurance companies. And so there's certainly a lot of upside growth potential in the space we're playing and the way we're approaching the market compared to other, you know, call it competitors in the space allows us to acquire these practices at, at far lower costs, but bring ultimately that organic value post acquisition which results in better shareholder value as well. So um, we're certainly excited about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of these deals 
Um, the, the volume is continuing to pick up. So, you know, we're, we're trying to maintain both cadence of bringing these deals to market on time, but also making sure that we're able to close on the ones that we bring in and ingest and, and bring that organic growth back to shareholders. Brilliant, Pratt. I mean, markets and trends are always shifting, especially now we're going into 2021 and we're going through a new economic transition. Um, and primary healthcare, you know, the market in the US is exceptional. Uh, you know, 17 and 18% of, you know, bankruptcies in the US are related to the lack of primary care, which is amazing. And the revenue forecast for 2027 is around $410 billion, which is almost half a trillion dollar market. So, you know, incredible opportunities. I'm very happy that you've targeted that market. I know you also have a presentation to go through on your growth strategies for 2021 and beyond, uh, which is going to pull that up. And then I think me and Hammy are going to disappear and then we'll be back uh, once you're done. Yeah, and you know what, you brought up a really good point, which is, you know, just looking at the primary care market, right? And as we talk about, you know, why primary care is such a core aspect of US, um, you know, sort of from a US investment thesis perspective, because, you know, one of the largest trends that we're seeing on the US side now and in healthcare in general is the cost of healthcare. And especially when you look at it from the cost of unnecessary emergency room visits to surgeries to procedures that could otherwise be avoided if you know, let's call it the market was focusing on prevention as much as they were focusing on treatment. Um, and much of this falls back to the primary care physician. So, you know, it's sort of an interesting stat. Primary care might represent less than 10% of the total healthcare spend, um, but they control almost 60% of it. And so when you look at the comparison to what impact primary care has on the rest of that, let's, you know, you call it a half a trillion market on primary care, I call it a multi-trillion market on healthcare. It, it's a significant chunk out of the healthcare system. And so um, this is why we believe it's so important to focus on the market we're focusing on, because in the next two to three years, this is going to be an enormous explosive area for growth. Um, and anyone who's playing in the space today, setting up that infrastructure is going to recognize that participation and growth. So, you know, these slides that I want to kind of highlight here for you um, is very much indicative of sort of some of that, um, you know, some of that modeling that we're seeing. Um, and this was actually brought to us by, by our banking partner in the US, Oppenheimer, that we've been uh, spending time with and spending non-deal roadshows and meeting with US institutional accounts. And they were nice enough to put this together to help us also depict how the US market is, is unfolding in general and where Skylight Health plays. And so I'll take a few minutes here just to go through some slides in, in, in high level, of course, uh, but just to outline why, why Skylight Health is doing what we're doing, but really why the next two to three years in this market is really going to be the, the area for growth in U.S. healthcare. So as you can see here, I want to highlight some, some quotes from you. So these quotes are from some of the, some of the big insurance commercial payers out there like Optum, Aetna, and, and Humana. And as you can see from these, these quotes, they're all claiming and they're all pushing towards what we call as value-based care, right? And, and for those that are, might be unfamiliar with that terminology, this pay-per-value model is you know, typically in the U.S., in most predominant forms of medicine today in primary care, you go on a fee-for-service-based model. So it's encounter-based. Doctor gets paid every time they see you. In a paper value model, the payers are trying to say, look, physician, we'll pay you on, a, on some sort of a per member per month or higher incentive model so that you can, you're incentivized to do more for the patient, which means that rather than just treating them every time you see them, prevent issues, which will later cost us more downstream if these patients were to become part of a hospital um, infrastructure in terms of avoidable issues, let's call that, right? And so certainly the, the trend is moving towards value-based care and payers are trying to think about how to move physicians from a traditional fee-for-service model into this kind of value-based model, which is going to save a ton of capital downstream on healthcare costs. Um, so, but as you can see from this graph here, 
still over 83% of uh, physician participation is still in the fee-for-service model. So this is not, this is not something that's going to happen tomorrow. This is something that's been going on for over a decade, but there's still a lot of wood to chop. And so certainly we, we are going to see the impact of that as we continue to go. Um, this next slide that I'm, I'm going to show you here is just kind of identifying the value here in value-based models. Like, what does this really mean from a, from a revenue perspective, from a model perspective? So I'm going to, I'm going to highlight here that the fourth category that says PMPM rate, which basically means per member per month. And so these pairs are shifting from, say, you know, paying you every time the patient comes in, right? So the average visit with a primary care doctor is about $150. Um, on reimbursable rates. And you know, if you say a patient comes in three to four times a year, that's 500 to $1,000 a year. Well, what the payers are trying to do is to incentivize physicians to actually spend more time with their patients to save that cost downstream. The benefit in that for the physician is the higher remuneration. So if you look at here on Medicare Advantage, for example, which is a well-known sort of value-based product from, from payers today, the average revenue on a Medicare Advantage product is nearly $1,000 per member per month. So you're talking not about 1000 a year, you're talking about 12000 a year. Even if you look at managed Medicaid, you're still at 6000 a year. So you're talking about a significant improvement in revenue potential by being able to participate in these value-based contracts with payers, which they're all shifting towards. Um, and as you can see again from this slide, you know, just on that graph, over 56% of physician practices are still owner owned, which means that, you know, we're talking about small practices that need to develop these value-based capabilities in order to contract with payers on those terms, which many of them just don't have the capacity and infrastructure and time for. And so what you're seeing in the market today are kind of a lot of big name companies starting to move in this direction, right? So Oak Street Health is a company we speak highly about. And Oak Street Health has done this successfully where they have organically or de novo gone ahead and set up offices and they are organically recruiting patients into what they call as Medicare Advantage products. And so, you know, if you look at Oak Street's um, model today, got about 97,000 members, um, but their revenue on average is significantly higher per member. And so they're at about, call it 1.3 billion in revenue. The same company, Cano Health, is doing this by way of acquisition. So this company actually just merged with the SPAC and will be coming to market soon. But look at the valuation difference between the two companies. And here's the difference. Cano Health is growth by acquisition. The difference between Cano and Skylight though, is Cano is going and buying these existing value-based clinics. And because they're buying something that's already at the finish line, they're paying significant premiums for these acquisitions. And I'll show you what that is on the next slide. But before I get there, the only way they can continue to grow because that organic growth has already been reached is more acquisitions. And so you keep paying up, paying up and paying up. Plus everybody's focused on that market. So it's getting more and more expensive. So here's this market of managed care where everybody wants to be in. Everyone's buying these practices. And then here's this entire market of fee-for-service clinics that has the potential to transition to managed care that nobody is playing in. And so this is where Skylight Health is creating its niche. Skylight Health is going into this fee-for-service market where it's able to find smaller practices, but priced at three to five times EBITDA and is organically putting that infrastructure to convert them into managed care. So that in the next two to three years, the ability to contract in managed care could mean going from $1,000 or $500 a year per patient to $6,000 to $12,000 a year per patient. And we're doing it organically. And that will allow us to receive a multiple like Oak Street does, which is a multiple on revenue. 
And that is really why the Skylight Health story is resonating so well with U.S. institutional investors, because we're taking a different approach to value-based care markets, but is giving the result in value to shareholders as opposed to paying for that value up front. And just to kind of highlight that, look at these multiples paid today on managed care companies. We're talking about an average of 14.7 times EBITDA for large transactions and about 12.3 times EBITDA for small, for mid-sized transactions. And so even if you look at it a few years ago, that multiple was about nine and a half times. So you're seeing this market becoming more competitive. Companies like Cano Health are going to have to start paying higher and higher EBITDA prices, whereas Skylight is able to take the same capital, acquire more practices for a lower cost, and then ultimately bring that result back to shareholders. Because in our model, again, it's fee-for-service clinics that we acquire, similar to the ones that we just announced recently. We build those value-based capabilities by bringing in our technology and data analytics and the ability to bring clinical leadership to institutionalize the way these clinics practice. And then we're able to then identify patient populations that can benefit from various value-based models or contracts with large payers. This then gives us the leverage in terms of patient population, provider population, to go in and contract with providers on these kinds of models where we can switch from fee-for-service to now per member per month, which is far improved from a per revenue unit economic basis per patient. So, you know, this again is just a quick highlight of some of the feedback that's that's been received in terms of our marketing, um, you know, why we are focused on this market for primary care practices, but specifically in this sort of fee-for-service-based environment um, so that our multiples are at a discount to where the market's at today, but the market will reward Skylight for the ability to make that conversion into that value-based market. So, um, you know, certainly happy to you know, keep going from there, guys, but um, just wanted to share this with you. And thank you for letting me, you know, put the slide up and, and go through. Yeah, you, there's so many great points in, in those slides. And I think one thing that, you know, stands out to me is, you, is, your, is your focus in bringing these fee-based uh, clinics into your ecosystem of value-based. And I think that's important for investors to understand because you're, when, you, when we see these deals where you're buying these clinics and at, you know, one times trailing revenue and four to five times uh, EBITDA, uh, it's telling me one thing and that's that these clinics are buying into the model and they want to be a part of this model and you know they're not having to do it on their own they're they're able to come in and be a part of skylight's ecosystem that's already been developed and bring them into your um, into your umbrella of, of other clinics so I think that's really important for investors to understand is you're getting the buy-in from these clinics this isn't like um, you're having to go out and fork over, you know, an excess of cash to get these acquisitions, like you mentioned, for these other um, competitors in the market. Yeah. And, you know, physicians in general, providers understand that long term, this is the direction the market's going in. Right. So we always say value based capabilities because those contracts today, like Medicare Advantage or managed Medicaid, they might be different for various population groups. And so if you think about a physician's practice, you've got maybe 20 percent of those practice members today potentially being um, you know, a, a Medicare patient, where today the majority of patients that come in from the practices we acquire are not Medicare Advantage patients. And so there's an immediate opportunity to almost move these patients into a Medicare Advantage model, right? Then there are patients within that platform that might be you know, within categories of say disease states, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, mental health. And these are what we call at-risk groups and being able to identify them, create value metrics around them, and then work with payers to say, 
look, here's how we're keeping these patients out of the emergency rooms. Here's how we're keeping them out of, you know, uh, sort of unnecessary surgeries or, or visits with, with, with specialists where the cost is significantly higher for you. And that allows us to, to leverage that capability and technology and data to ultimately result in, in improving contracts with payers. Yeah, and then, so the other thing, the connecting all that together, last time you were on, we talked about data and the importance of data and what you plan on doing with that. And then we saw a recent news release of partnering with Amazon Web Services um, for business intelligence and AI to centralize data. So when you take everything and put it all together, can you kind of like just explain um, the importance of that and what you're going to be able to do with all this all this data in, into the future because I think it's a you know a very important aspect and the fact that you control your own uh, technology and all this data is, is very important. Mm -hmm. So you know the, the sort of three components to this right. So the first component is data ingestion. So you know one of the things that most practices today, especially we talk about these physician-owned practices. You know, we're talking about maybe one or two, three, four, five physician groups, right? Um, you know, they're busy. They're they're seeing patients. They're potentially running their practice. They're dealing with the administration of that practice and the billing. Um, you know, most of them don't don't have the capacity to sit down and say, okay, let me let me look at my data and and let me analyze it and let me figure out what am I you know what populations of health am I serving and how can I do that better and how do I improve and track that over time? Some do, and and, and quite honestly, you know, we're seeing that as well, but. For the most part, it's just not within the capacity of time to do so. And so that's number one, what we bring to each of these practices, right? We bring the ability to ingest the data that they're currently collecting through their electronic health record system and ultimately move to a centralized electronic health record system so that it becomes easier to do that. And data ingestion allows us then to analyze that data. And that's where sort of the partnership with Amazon is helpful for us because that allows us to have access to better models, tools, and analytical platforms that then can help us structure that data and ultimately result in saying, you know, like I said, what population of health patients do we serve? How do we define what value is? How can we combine what's missing today to what needs to be tomorrow into the practice? How do we bring that back? How can we help the physicians diagnose better? Can we help them build better treatment plans? Can we help them standardize and improve their documentation? Um, and by doing so, can we start to measure the improvement on these patients over time? Are we able to partner with hospital systems and insurance companies to be able to look at, you know, are we reducing hospital costs or, or increasing it, for example, right? And so these are the metrics that ultimately can be communicated back to employers and, and, uh, and payers, which results in our ability then to be better positioned to leverage and negotiate better contracts for the organization. Proud, since you have a great foundation in the primary care health um, market. Do you think perhaps in the next few years, do you think you will branch out out of the primary healthcare markets and into other, you know, parts of the healthcare industry in, in, in North America? And are you planning to come maybe, I don't know, outside of America, maybe focus more on Canada and perhaps, you know, I don't know, European countries, maybe Eastern European countries, because once you have the fundamentals and, you know, the revenue and the uh, cash balance, you would be able to apply that model, I believe, maybe to other parts of the world, which need primary healthcare, especially with your expertise. Hmm. I mean, look, you never say never. Um, you know, the reason we're in the U.S. market versus the Canadian market, which we're very accustomed to as well, is, number one, the, the, the reimbursement in Canadian markets is poor. And it's very difficult for businesses to survive in Canada that are purely just medical practices. So you often have to have other things around your business, which is therefore not the business of primary care. And what we feel in the U.S. right now is there's going to be this massive push towards, like I said, this trend towards value-based payment models in the U.S., which is going to dynamically change the entire structure 
of how healthcare is practiced, especially primary care in the US. Um, there's gonna be pressure on specialties, there's gonna be pressure on emergency rooms, there's gonna be pressure on hospital systems, but there's gonna be a growth in primary care. And so this is why we feel it's so important to stay focused in our model because it is relatively predictable, but at the same time, there's a direct line to how Skylight Health is gonna play within that value-based care environment. Um, to see that 500 to 1,000% growth over time. Um, other countries, I mean, look, at the end of the day, there's very little synergies that exist to create economies of scale. Um, you know, if you want to get into another country, you got to build that again there. And so and I think for the time being, we're U.S. focused, um, you know, even within the U.S., we're talking about multiple geographies, markets, and thinking about how we think about, you know, focusing on specific markets more than others. Um, so there are ongoing conversations, but for the time being, the U.S. is, is pretty much our destination. Yeah, and I, we, we, we talked last time about, you know, you're kind of focused on the unserviced areas, which is a very important um, part of primary care is getting to those unserviced areas that are going to need, um, you know, primary health care coming out of a pandemic. Uh, I think that's going to be a major focus for governments um, is to focus on healthcare and people's health. And I think even as individuals, we're going to be even more focused on our own health um, to stay healthy into the future and avoid um, problems like we just had over this past year and still ongoing. Uh, so I think, you know, that's another thing that, you know, investors need to understand is, you know, you're going into unserviced areas that, you know, aren't typically the popular ones for other competitors to, to go into. So I think that's an important development as well. Um, and when we talk about buy-in, uh, we got buy-in from the clinics and, and physicians, but uh, and you have, you've had three recent news releases of hires uh, of buy-in from, you know, major um, people in the healthcare industry, all part of multi-billion dollar um, companies in the healthcare industry. So maybe if you can touch on on those three major hires that, you know, and what they what they mean for Skylight moving forward as well. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I think the, uh, um, I, I selfishly feel very uh, blessed to have them part of our team. Um, look, it's, uh, it's one thing to have a vision to where you want to go and, and the experience and having done it before, it's completely another thing to, you know, it takes a village and especially having the knowledge on how this looks like from a destination. So some of these, you're right, you know, um, like Paul that joined us from Providence. Providence is probably the fourth largest not-for-profit health system in the U.S. today. Um, and, you know, we're talking about organizations that have built large multi-billion dollar infrastructures to deliver care to you know, millions and millions and millions of Americans. Uh, but that said, there are challenges that exist within those models. It's their ability to uh, deploy technology. It's their ability to be flexible. It's ability to operate a cost-centric organization that's going to participate in these models in the future. And I think that's where we've been able to um, identify both Skylight as a growth opportunity and, and, you know, for, especially for Paul and for Jerry and Dr. Fig, I can't speak for them, but, you know, I would, I would assume that part of the attraction is you get to bring the principles of what's made these businesses successful to a high growth story like Skylight benefit in that growth, but then also really align those structures so that you don't maybe make the same kind of mistakes that some of these other organizations did. And so, um, you know, our, our, our leadership meetings are, are you know, at a, at a different level today than they ever were before. Um, the decisions being made are, are far more focused now and not that they weren't before, but obviously you can benefit from the experience and leadership that they can bring. So um, I think part of this is having that experience now within Skylight to continue to focus and show investors that we're not just a buy, buy, buy kind of story that we can continue to acquire all day long, but so can anybody else. What makes us different? Well, what makes us different is that acquisition is just a faster pathway to patient population than waiting two years to just build your own practice 
But really, the story here is that 500 to 1,000% growth that we can get by moving from fee-for-service into value-based contracts. And um, having the experience with capacity to be able to do that is really why we feel kind of really you know, both blessed and happy to have you know, people of this caliber within, within Skylight Health today. Yeah, Brad, there's no doubt that we love what you do and you've been doing very good in, in the past couple of months. Um, but maybe I don't want it to be an echo chamber. So I'm going to ask you a challenging question. What are the okay. challenges that you see for you in 2021 and beyond? Um, you know, I think that there's going to be um, continued evolution of these value-based models. Um, payers today have identified some products that obviously are in market, and that's easy to, to draw a line to how you get to. Um, there are a lot of other opportunities to work with payers on multiple other areas of, of, of risk for patients. Um, and uh, I think there's going to be that ongoing discussion that continually changes perhaps how we think about valuing risk within the organization. Um, but look, we're also a high growth by acquisition organization and, and every company we acquire requires, you know, the effort and time to go in to integrate and to bring them onto a single platform and to bring those efficiencies to those practices and the training and the clinical leadership to those practices. So, you know, we're always going to be at some level, I suppose, you know, constrained by capacity. And so we're always focused on growing capacity with every acquisition, but at the same time, the ability to grow as fast as we'd like to is also something we're mindful of based on how much we can digest. So I think one of the challenges we'll face in any organization that plays in the space we play in, especially M&A focused, uh, will always be in how how well can you ingest as fast as you can grow? So that's uh, need to be fully transparent where we spend a lot of time thinking about. Well, that's a good problem to have, to have too much demand that you can't really <laughs> keep up with the demand and there's supply constraint. It's always a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, look, it's important to stay disciplined, right? I mean, we can certainly go and chase these 70 million to 100 million dollars. And don't get me wrong, there are some of those deals that do exist today. Um, but we're going to be careful of paying up for those transactions just to get the revenue in the door. We know that that's not what's going to ultimately lead to that ultimate Skylight Health value. So, you know, we'll, we'll always be disciplined. That's that's going to be our focus. Which, I mean, you have really demonstrated because you look at the recent deal, you have 1x um, trailing revenue. That's that's an incredible deal So to um to get in the market in this market um you know overvalued the market that we see today so congratulations there must have been a lot of work behind the scenes that maybe investors don't really see on a daily basis hammy uh, do you have any more questions before um we ask pratt for his final comments yeah i was just going to get into you know maybe you know you, you said that five or six deals are kind of done so there's there's kind of one more to to go uh, and then I guess what happens after after that is, you know, you're, like you just mentioned that you're gonna gonna make sure that you take things, you know, slow and diligent. Um, is that kind of what's gonna happen is you're gonna take these all these acquisitions and kind of build them into the ecosystem before we see some other kind of moves or, or what, what do you think is gonna happen after that, that sixth one gets done? Um, so these three are on top of those six. So oh, okay. Yeah, so those five have already closed. Um, okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. In. Um, the sixth one, you know, part of the challenge with working with larger transactions, that's probably the biggest one we've announced so far. It's about a $20 million revenue deal. Is every time you deal with the larger institutional seller, you deal with institutional lawyers. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. longer than they need to sometimes, but it's all positive. It's all moving in the right direction. Um, so while that's happening in the background, you know, we're still working on our pipeline. These three deals we've announced have been happening, you know, in the in the background as more are as well. So I mean, we certainly have more that are call it at different stages and near near LOI stage, pre LOI stage, and so. Um, as we work through those transactions, I don't think that investors should in any way feel that there's going to be some sort of a slowdown of acquisitions through the rest of 2021. 
um, we were pretty clear and confident at the start of the year that, you know, there's going to be many more to come. And so I think we're going to have a regular cadence here of acquisitions and the M&A is certainly going to be a strong lever for growth. Um, but like anything else, I also like to express to, to shareholders, look, it's important you look beyond just the M&A. Um, because what's going to transpire over the next few years in the U.S. healthcare market is going to be nothing short of massive. And so you want to be able to position your organization to be part of that growth. Um, and there's no reason why Skylight Health cannot be, and we're already starting to lay the foundation to be able to do that. So I um, certainly look forward to both of those levers, organic and m and um, but, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to be announcing deals through the course of this year. That's great. And yeah, and like Sean mentioned by 2027, you know, primary healthcare is going to be half a trillion dollars. So if you look at, you can just look at the revenues from your competitors. I mean, there's such a large runway there uh, for Skylight and the competitors really for multiple players in the market to, to really do well. So, you know, I think you're positioned, you know, with your, with your M&A deals at one times trailing revenue um, to grow that organically, you know, three, four five times, you know, what you're paying for this stuff. So I think, you know, congratulations on everything that you've done. Just even like numerically, right? Thank you for that, yeah. uh, by the way, is if you look at, let's say 20% of all patient populations we typically tend to acquire, like I said, are Medicare patients, right? Mm -hmm. On average, $150 a year on these practices. So, I mean, you're talking about what, three, three or so million potentially out of these patients. These patients on a Medicare Advantage plan would be over 200 million, right? Just as an example of what that conversion mm -hmm. of value exists within the existing patient base we already have today. And so that's, you know, that, that's largely why we believe that such a, you know, a growth model towards that direction is going to be um, so highly attractive and accretive for each of these acquisitions that we're, we're bringing in. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, Prad. I mean, the healthcare, as I said, the primary care healthcare in America is very important, very crucial. We, we know we have President Biden who's now focusing on, and he brought us some very interesting points. I mean, we need to relieve the pressure off emergency rooms, you know, specialists, so we can focus on that primary healthcare industry and serve probably Americans even better and increase the healthcare um, of the overall population as well, which is where you're very well positioned. Uh, before we end this up, um, do you have any final words for our investors and potential investors in the Skylight Health? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I always like to leave investors with sort of the same comments, which is, you know, in Skylight Health, what you're investing in is an early stage but high growth company in a very mature market with that's led by experience. And you've got management and founders that have been within healthcare pretty much most of our careers and played within the practice management space within most of our careers. And we continue to build that infrastructure. Um, you're also investing in a company that's got tremendous growth potential that today is playing in a green space with very little competition. And while the entire market is focused on the destination today, they're rewarding Skylight Health's potential for being able to find an alternate route that is getting there at a lower cost and a higher return to shareholders. Um, and then, you know, lastly, as we continue to build and expose the story, you know, a demonstration of science like this from our, from our US banking partners, just continue to show the validation that Skylight Health is receiving in terms of our business model um, as we execute in on, on a more U.S. institutional uh, basis, down down as we continue to build on that uh, on that on the U.S. exposure. Yeah, I, I really hope investors take a note of Oppenheimer. I mean, he's, he's one of the underwriters in America um, on on your path to Nasdaq. There was a question on Nasdaq. How how is that looking in terms of timeline? It's looking great. I mean, look, we we we're pushing as hard as we can. Um, the, the NASDAQ has, has been pretty favorable in terms of getting back comments to us on time, and, and we've been pretty quick in responding to those comments. There's obviously a lot of deals going through right now, and so we're happy that we're able to get it back as quick as we are. 
Um, you know, like anything else, we expect sort of, you know, end of Q1, early Q2, um, you know, timeframe has always been our goal. Um, but as we get closer to the end of Q1, I guess we'll start looking at early Q2. So, um, but like anything else, we're not talking six months out. We believe it's, it's you know, near term. Um, but in the meantime, it's important to keep building the pipeline, you know, showing shareholders the M&A story, the organic story, and then just really keep building that exposure um, through more marketing and, and meeting with institutional accounts down on the U.S. side. Yeah, I mean, NASDAQ is not the final step, it's just another step in your in your growth trajectory. And I really want investors to have a look at Oppenheimer. I mean, it's not one of those, you know, usual underwriters, it's a massive institution. So, and they don't take up any clients, um, you know, Skylights must have been a special case and it is a special case. Thank you well, so much. Well, remember, Oppenheimer was the lead bank that took Grogen from, call it, you know, $3 to, what was it, to $60 on their, on their top end. So, I mean, yeah. you know, they certainly have an investor audience and a base that appreciates the, the consolidation and growth through consolidation story. No, I mean, Oppenheimer is one of those big names. I mean, <laughs> you know, I really yeah, they, they also, they've also, as, as I'm learning going through it, they've also, I believe, done probably, you know, one of the, um, one of the leading, you know, one of the leading banks in healthcare. I know Stiefel is just up there as well and, and Raymond James. And so there's a number of these banks that specialize in, in physician healthcare services. And that's really kind of what ultimately leads to a, a more um, sort of institutional focus on Skylight Health, which to your point is correct, can, has to sit mainly on the sidelines today. The NASDAQ's a chance for them to get into the story. Yeah, hundred percent. So I thought that's that's what I thought. You know, it's important to signify. Maybe our viewers are not familiar with these underwriters. You know, <laughs> you have the Oppenheimers and Raymond James and Goldman Sachs and you know um, all these um, big players, and they don't take up a duel for no reason. I'm, I'm sure they see a great potential, and that's the reason why they're taking it. How many final words before we wrap this up? No, I just want to thank Prad for coming on again. Look forward to having you back in the near future to talk about some more developments. Um, always appreciate your time and uh, best of luck in, in the next few weeks. And uh, yeah. Well, much appreciate the time you guys give me on this uh, show, guys. So again, thank you. And, and certainly looking forward to be back with more updates. Awesome. Prad, it was a great pleasure to finally meet you. I couldn't meet you last time, but um, very best of luck in the future as well. I'm sure we're going to have you very soon back on the show. Uh, all the very best of luck to you and everyone at the team and Skylight Health. All right. Thank you so much, you guys. Have a great day. Bye.